Hey, it's Sean Fennessy, host of The Big Picture. Did you just see the latest tentpole blockbuster? Or a surprisingly fun new movie on a streaming service? Or maybe you just want to bone up on the greatest films ever made? From reviews to rankings, career retrospectives to movie drafts, and everything in between, The Big Picture is here for you. Listen to The Big Picture for free on Spotify. Michael K. Williams is here. We, we did this on my HBO show briefly, like three years ago. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, But we, we didn't have a full sit-down, so I I'm glad on, we're doing this. I came this. on there with Christina, Christina Hendricks. Hendricks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But now, now we're going to do the full sit-down. You have, uh, When They See Us is on Netflix right now. It is not a miniseries. It's not a TV show. It's not a movie. What is it? A limited TV series. A limited TV series. There you go. All the terminology is so complicated now. What kind of feedback are you getting for this? It's been awesome. It's been actually humbling. Um, the main feedback I's, I've been really having a hard time with are my friends, my 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 peers. They call me, my 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 brothers from from other mothers, as we say, and um, it's woken up their trauma that I didn't know that they had. They may not have known that they had, and so I'm I'm getting these phone calls with all this pain, um, and just um, and I don't know what to say, and that that makes me feel helpless. And all I can do is just sit there and listen. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when this story happened, I was actually, I was spending the summers in Connecticut at that point. And obviously it's a huge story in the tri-state area and they were writing about it and it seemed incredibly unfair. And then, it, you know, like everything else, it goes away after the trial. Yeah. Then there was a documentary about, I think, 2011, 2012 by Ken Burns. That was really good. Awesome. It was one of those things that kind of would come around every few years and people would go, oh yeah, that was really unfair. That's terrible. I wish that hadn't happened. And then it moves on to the next thing. And now with this Netflix series, limited TV series and the scope of it, now it feels like it's getting the proper treatment, I would say. Yeah, Um, I think so. Because, you know, we have some distance. I think we're better at recognizing some of the code words. Like there's a really good scene in the first episode when Felicity Huffman's character, the DA, She's talking, she's explaining how she's got to get these guys and she's using like animals and just these words that I I feel like now people are so conditioned to tense up when they hear any sort of code, anything. It's really effective at how it does You know, unfortunately, that's not the case on my my view. You know, um, my kids, and when I say my kids, I mean the young people from my community because it takes a village. So I own all my kids, the good, bad, and the ugly because I was once the the bad and the ugly. So, um, just as recently as the the Baltimore riots, I remember being infuriated because the then mayor of the city, she went on on national news and she called her kids animals, mm. and that it just it just struck a chord. How many years ago was that? The Baltimore riots. We're talking like four years ago. Yeah. And I, I I remember hearing her refer to the kids in her community from her city as animals, and it, it just it it it's, didn't make me feel good. I've had a few choice words for her in that moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you you're on the parent side in this one. In the yes, I am. I play a, I play Bobby McCray. He was the Antron Antron's father. Do you worry about the type of characters you play? Like you. You tend to be on this side or this side on the right. Usually, like even in the night of, you're in jail. The wire, you're Omar. Like so you, you tend to be more of the bad guy in this one. Whenever you go against type with that, 
I'm always more interested like to see you as the parent. I was like, all right, this is good. You know, um, I never really, I haven't looked at my, my, my resume in regards to good and bad. They're all humans. And, um, unfortunately, and, and sometimes fortunately, I know all these characters from my community. So yeah. when I look at my, 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 my wreckage of my past, as we call a resume, I, uh, I, I see different community narratives. So it's like a mosaic of people you've run into over the, I was, I, I would, over the decades. I would say so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what drew you to this role? Huh. Um, the story, um, to finally be a, to be a part of, of these men finally getting a chance to tell their truth, to tell the truth. And, um, you know, I, I know this story. I was there um, in New York when it happened, and uh, it could have easily have been me, easily, yeah. my mom and me in the in that interrogation room. And then last but not least, it was Ava DuVernay, you know, um, and not just because it was Ava DuVernay, but it was Ava DuVernay. Yeah. And uh, if you if you know her, you know what I'm talking about. If you had a chance to talk with her, you know, we, we sat down in New York over lunch, and we talked about, the the climate and the climate in the city at the time and what it was like for me, and and my relationship to the story and I thought that you know, I was pretty secure that I had the gig right so I was like okay, who gets the bill? I have to see you on the set. She goes oh no 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 now let's talk. I'm like well, what do you want to know? She says who are you? And I was like. I, I didn't I didn't I didn't prepare for that question. Yeah. Like, what do you mean? Who am I? And um, the conversation went on a different uh, trajectory. It got real, real quick. And um, I don't know. I left. I left the meeting feeling not as confident as I went in. I, I didn't know if I had the gig or not. And it was um, it was in some of the things that we spoke about in that that part of the conversation that I realized I had gotten a little lazy, and um, I got I had gotten a little jaded. You know, um, jumping from gig to gig and, and yeah not taking care of myself. And um, I said, I said, you know, if I, if she gives me an opportunity to be a part of this journey, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to really, really make it, make it count. And, and um, when they see us for me personal, on a personal level, outside of my relationship to the story, just as, as an actor in this business, um, it kind of renewed my vows with the craft and the reasons why I do what I do. So who are you? I am a man from my community who cares about my community, who wants to use my platform to be a part of something positive in my community. And Is so, that what you told Ava? Well, no, not in that moment. I had to go find that answer. Yeah. I didn't know so that. So that made you question what the answer was. Yes, I had to, which is, well, question your answers. All right, yeah. the, shout out to the Atlantic. Yes, I had to question my answers because I didn't know. And, you know, like my my catalog of work where I look at my body and who I am now as a man in my personal life and what I do in my community and the impact I, I aim to have in my community, that all started to wake up right around, um, you know, a uh, black market, uh, um, raised in the system. That started to push me in this into this direction of having purpose, of, of, of being of service. And when they see us kind of, was the, was the boot in the back that just kicked me over the edge. There's no turning back for me. Do you, so you played Omar, one of the most uh, iconic characters, I would say, in the history of HBO. Thank you. 
the president says it's his favorite character ever and all that stuff's going on. I've asked you this before, but I'm going to repeat it. Um, the baggage of that, as you try to find new roles and stuff, how long did it take to shake out of that, of people just thinking like, oh, that's Omar? I, I didn't care. I was too ignorant to care about any of that. I just, you know, I was happy to be there, happy to be working. I, all of that, that stuff, I didn't have the knowledge of what that meant to even wear that. So my ignorance kind of saved me. Yeah. But um, um, in regards to uh, President Obama making that remark about his his admiration for The Wire and, and the character of Omar, that put me on blast. That frightened me. Um, you know, I, I was, think he said it to me. It was an interview I did with him. Remember we talked about this. Yeah. It was. It, you were the, and I was. I was in the White House. I did the first ever podcast with him. And I'm he started talking later. about that. And then he was like, yeah, my favorite character is Omar. I was wow. like, what? Yeah. That was, yo. Okay. When I heard it, I was in the interview with uh, Terry Rhodes um, from um, Fresh Air. And it was like the HBO um, media people were running in. And it was like, it was like almost like breaking news for, for this little show called The Wire on HBO. Yeah. And, uh, I remember. I think it was me. I hope I'm not taking it, credit for it. it. Could, I'm pretty it, sure it was me. Yeah, I mean, we well, we gonna we gonna say it now, right? It was you, it was Bill. <laughs> hope, right? it's, hope it's not uh, debunked after the fact that it was somebody else. <laughs> I know we talked about the wire, and I could have sworn he said you were his favorite character, but maybe I'm imagining it. No. Well, we'll just edit it out if it wasn't me. Yeah. But I do remember it was a big deal. It was it, the fact that he loved the wire, kind of in its own way, felt like a big deal. Well, you know, it was it like, because I felt like it made him more real to somebody like me. It was like, oh, that dude's watching the same TV shows that I like, you well, know? Can you imagine what it did for someone like me who yeah. was, who lived in that community that, yeah. he, that The Wire depicted? So I was like, oh, he sees me, you know? So even though I'm on television and I'm, I'm, my career is starting to bud, I felt like, I still felt um, invisible, you know, with getting back to when they see us, you know, I still felt like no one really saw me. They only saw was, you know, what I portray on television. I still felt that at that point, my voice didn't matter. Who cares what I think about anything? So therefore, I didn't, I didn't, I was very ignorant to who, the way things run in, in regards, into my community, in regards to like uh, local office or office um, leaders and things of that nature. I definitely wasn't voting. Who cares about my vote? Yeah. And so all I, that's who I was when President Obama said that about me. So then I was, so two things happened. I was like, okay, he 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 must care. He must see me if he's watching The Wire. He he must care about things that are going on in my community. And then it made me want to listen to him and care about things that was going on in his world, which was affecting my world. So yeah. it made me grow up and and to take responsibility for my lack of 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 being present, my lack of not voting, my lack of not caring about who my local politicians were. I learned all of that by listening to him speak. So going way backwards, you got into acting late. Yes, very late. And was is it fair to say you bounced around in your, your teens and 20s trying to figure out what you're going to do with life? Um, I, well, yeah, very fair. You know, at, at, at what, at, by, so, okay, when, when they see us, I was about 21, 22, and I was in rehab. Late 80s. Late '80s, yeah. I was definitely '89. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I was in I was in my first rehab for for um, drug addiction. Yeah. So that's who I was. Um, uh, I you know I came out of that and I just you know I fell into the arts. It was the you know dancing was the first thing that I I liked to do that that held my attention and I 
found that I could actually make some sort of a living at it. So um, by the time The Wire came around, I was so happy just being a background dancer. That was my joy. And you're in your late 30s at that point? Well, I was in, yeah, but I had stopped dancing in my late 20s. I was in my early 30s when The Wire came around, 32, I think. I stopped dancing like 27, 28. I had been on a few... um, uh, gigs and started to book. Everybody was calling me the dark skin, the bald headed dark skin guy with the scar on his face. Yeah. So that was my MO. That was what I was being typecasted for, as you were alluding to earlier. That was frightening because it got old real quick. And I was like, if I'm getting bored with being called the bald headed dark skin guy with the scar on his face, they're going to start getting tired of calling me that. And I knew that I needed to get substance. So I got really lucky and got introduced to the off Broadway theater world in New York City, like the mama. Uh, La Mama Theater in Lower East Side, National Black Theater up in Harlem. And then I got with a theater company called Theater for a New Generation, um, my director, Mel Williams from Philadelphia. And that's when things really started to click. You could send me on anything and I would book it. And then all of a sudden the phones went dead for like two years. I couldn't book a job if you threw it at me. And then I started going into these auditions with all this, this, this anxiety. Like my life depends on thug number three. If I don't get the role of, you know, of scary guy on the corner number four, I'm going to die. Right. And I was like, this is not the right energy you're coming into these rooms with. So I thought that maybe the ship had sailed. And uh, I went to work with my mom in the daycare that she she built in the projects that we still lived in. And I was like, yo, mom, I need a gig. And she hired me and I was grateful. And I put my all into it. And so all of that was for like two years. 9-11 happened. And in October of 2001, I was in my apartment in the projects and um, I turned on my television, playing some music, getting high. And um, there I go, my episode of Sopranos pops on the television. So I'm, I'm looking around my apartment and I'm looking at myself and I'm seeing myself on the television. And I'm like, one of these pictures is not cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I went to my mom and I said, listen, um, I want to give it one more shot. That was in a, that was October. I said, I actually let me some money. I need to reinvent my package, new headshots. They were doing this new thing called the reel that I heard. So I think I'm, yeah. I got to make a reel. And uh, she got, she lent me the money and I did that. That was October. By March, she calls me. I was upstairs. Um, she calls me and, um, and which by the way, I was also in a depression. Um, I didn't deal with 9-11 very well. I was on medication for that crap and all that shit. So that that was the mind that I was in. And I, she calls me one day, come downstairs, there's a, there's a fax for you, right? It was the breakdown for Omar. And that was in, that was in March. I put myself on tape one time uh, for Alexa Fogel for the role of Omar. And the next time she called me, she was telling me to go pick up my tickets to go to Amtrak, to go to Baltimore, to report to work. That's amazing. I didn't know that story. That's amazing. What, why did 9-11, what happened? You know, I mean, beyond um, I the saw, usual I stuff. Saw, I saw that with my naked eye. You know, the night before, my mom's from the Bahamas, and so um, I'm first generation. My cousin was here visiting. He was slated to leave that morning. So that night, we drove around the city. Just, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a uh, construction worker in the Bahamas. So he, he was fascinated how the buildings were so high above the, the clouds. He was like, yo, Mike, tell me that building stops right there. That's not going past the clouds. Like, you know, the Twin Towers and, and, yeah. and the Empire State. But I was like, nah, Foot State, they go past that. So we got in my car that night, September 10th, and in an attempt to buy observation tickets, at, at first we went to the, um, the, uh, 
the Empire State Building. They said no. Then we drove downtown and went to the Trade Tower. And I was trying to buy tickets that night so we could beat the line because he, he was leaving that morning. So the goal was we'll get the tickets tonight, take you to see the observatory deck, and then drive you to the airport. You go home. Was you were going to be there that morning? Yes, sir. And um, we he, and we went to to the to the to the to, to Twin Towers, and my cousin said, "Mike, don't waste your money. Let because I I might want to stay a little longer." He says, "Let me make some phone calls. If I can change my ticket to stay longer, without it being too expensive, then we'll come back to the city, go to the Twin Towers, then we're going to go see his dad who lived in Maryland. Just go to through the Highland Tunnel and go up the go up, you know, he's on down the road. We get up that next morning, and and then it happened." And I remember um, that week, the weeks to follow, on any given day when the wind would shift, you could still smell, like at least two weeks past, you could smell the burning flesh in the air. And I remember being on my roof in the project, seeing the second plane go in. And I said, Footy, I said, I think these buildings are gonna drop. He says, no boy, that's steel. Steel on, steel on Ben, you can't burn steel. And I think maybe, 30, 40 minutes after he said that, those buildings were down. And I sat, we just sat there and watched. So that. you could see the whole thing from where you were? Yes, sir. You had a clear view um, to the Twin Towers. Did you know projects. the second plane? Did you know it was going to go into the building? Or like well, at that point, were you I even thinking you terrorism? Anything. Well, when the second plane hit, I didn't actually see it flying. I just saw the big poof. And then I was like, what, what happened? And then, yeah, my then aunt, you realized. Yeah, it was somewhere else. Okay, so the sec- a second plane just hit because people were, we were freaking out. And that's when we started hearing that, that, that it was a terror. That's the first time I heard the word terrorist attack. It was in that moment. I remember watching on TV the second one, assuming the first one was like an accident, right? Everyone. That, yeah, and it's just, and you're like, man, that's, I can't believe that happened. And then that second one was coming toward the, I was so, the building. It was like, wait yeah, a second. I remember waking up that morning and turning on the news and seeing the image. You want to know what my first thought was? I don't remember the scene from Towering Inferno. I just yeah. dated myself, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Towering Inferno. I was, I'm like, I don't remember this scene in Towering Inferno. It's my favorite movie. I didn't. I don't remember the scene. What, what is this? What this looks too new? Did they re-edit it? That's that's where my mind went. Towering Inferno. God. So then Omar changed your life. Then. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. How much? How much of it was was. Uh, how much of the characters did you try to create versus what was written for it? Like, what was the balance? Um, I, I knew. Like, that, was it a blank slate that you worked with David no, Simon, or no, like, what no, was it? No, no, David Simon, Ed Burns. There was no blank slating going on over there. I mean, right down to the whistle, everything that was all. So in they the had paper, all that stuff. All of that was there. The only thing I can say I brought to the table was I was determined to not have Omar sound like a dude from Brooklyn. I, I immediately heard this different dialect. It that was the, it was like it was Oh like, the Baltimore dialect. Yeah, yeah, man. It was rich and it was it was immediate. Like there was no like like you heard that and you knew that. Can okay. you do it like on command now or was that something you had to work at? Work at wood. Oh. I'm talking about. Do tell. <laughs> <laughs> How long did it take to get that? Uh about two, two to three years. If you if you wow. really listen to me in season one and two. I come in and out. There are certain words that you could like. You could tell I'm. It was it was in there to the to the untrained ear. Yeah. But to Baltimoreans, they could hear me coming in and out. It wasn't mm. until um season three, it just started to really. I just got it. It was in my pocket by season three. 
Was that character super popular right away or did it did it take uh, two seasons? Because I don't remember the arc of it. I don't neither. I, you know, I was just so. I remember uh, by like season three, it was the it thing. It got really, yeah. yeah. It felt like yeah. it was, you were like, <laughs> it was like Kramer and Seinfeld where every time we were in a scene, it was like, oh my God, there he is. Someone's going to die. Or someone's going to die. Someone's going to die. Someone's going to get raw. Someone's going to die. <laughs> I didn't, you know, I was, um, I remember, I, I was too, I remember being concerned about his 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 sexual orientation being an issue in my community, I was really worried about that. And um, was I it would, an issue? Um, no. I mean, that was one of the things that was so revolutionary that, about actually, the character. I think it actually helped my community heal because you know homophobia was rampant, is rampant still. Um, I think that Omar helped uh, men, heterosexual men from my community. look at homosexuality or otherness from them in a different light. They had a had a way, Omar gave them a way to respect men that didn't live sexualized the way they did. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's something you'd been, you'd been more, everything I've read about you, you were super comfortable in all kinds of circles like your whole life. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, my, um, I, you know, my, my, my best friend, my homie, the one that taught me how to navigate through the streets of Brooklyn is a lesbian named Robin, <laughs> who she fought for me. She beat up quite a few dudes for me, <laughs> and she taught me how to um, toughen up. So, uh, yeah, a woman taught me how to be a man, a gay woman. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> so you had, we were talking when you came in about, there was no no great wire poster. There's been some good ones, not a great one, but you said there was one giant Omar poster. <laughs> yeah. That's like not many of them are out there, but no, you sir. have one of them. I have one, and I, I hope in hopes to um to auction it off for charity for making kids win. My organization that I run with my nephew Dominic. It's the um it's and the, the quote is the um you come at the king you best not miss. Yeah, that's the quote in the poster, and it's the uh, it's season one where he's getting ready to rob the kids in the alleyway with him and his lover. Um, Brandon, they set him up, and it's the first time we hear Omar say the line, uh, uh, the cheese stands alone. It's in that it's in that scene right before that that robbery. That's the poster shot. I'll be finding that one on eBay. <laughs> this is one of my rare skills is I can find find weird shit on eBay. You're gonna make me I'll be give hunting you this mind, down. Man. You're gonna make me get you. I'm finding this. No, 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 I'll find it. Yeah, I don't need I want you to auction yours off. That uh -huh. sounds a great poster. Thank and you. you have the overcoat. Yes, I do. I have Omar's trench. Um, David and Ed and Nina, they, um, you know, that was a, that was a rough day at the office, um, needless yeah. to say. And they gifted it to me. They put it in this airtight gold encasing box and, um, his, uh, birth date is, uh, the run of the show from 2002 to 2008. And it's, um, yeah, it's beautiful. Did you, when did you get that script? Did you, how, how did you know it was going to end for him, or did you uh, yeah. did you think he was going to get through this this series? No, David. David was very very um, upfront about that. He didn't. He didn't. You know, he didn't lead you on. So he called me and he he told me about it. And um, so I, I was able to go to work with this mindset that you know it was a weird day. Everyone was like, "Let's just get through this day. We are not going to sit here." and start getting emotional and mourning a fictitious character. Right. It was that, it was that awkward elephant in the room, all this, like... And um, I had a break between takes, and like, they had to cover me up at one point because they didn't want the community to get the spoiler alert that Omar had been shot, so I had to cover up all the, 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 the 
gun wounds to the head to go back and forth. And um, I was in my trailer. I looked in the mirror with the gun wound and um, I just blanked. I just got, I got stuck. It wasn't, I wasn't crying. I just got, I went numb because it was coming to an end, man. I was like, you know, I was a corny kid growing up. I got picked on a lot. And all of a sudden, the same kid who would probably call me Sissy Mike and take my lunch money was like, dude, I love you. Yeah, and I yeah. was like, well, you was going to kill me just two, three years ago. So anyway, um, that, 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 uh, that Superman cape, that, 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 um, false, that false love, that false feeling of, of, of pride was being stripped away. Um, every moment we shot that scene that day. And when the reality of that hit me, I was in my trailer alone. I just went, I went numb. Like, damn, I got to go back to Michael. Yeah. <laughs> that sucks. And um, the wardrobe, um, Donna, she walks in. The wardrobe, the costume designer, excuse me, Donna, she walks in to, to, to like a change or something. And she, she knows, she, I, I would let people walk in my trailer. I think you'd have to knock for me. She came in, my goodness. She looked at my, at me sitting at the desk and she dropped everything and she grabbed me and she says, um, uh-uh, we're not doing this today. Don't even go there. Pull this shit together. Excuse my language. And she yeah. just like, she snapped me out of it. And um, that was it. So after the show ends, Omar lives on, which you probably didn't realize at the time. <laughs> and then you're you're out and about, you're wherever you are, and people must mention that character to you constantly. Celebrities. I mean, you're running to basketball players it's or boxers. They, that must honor. be the first thing they say, right? It's an honor. Yes, it is. Out of... Out of 10 people, seven of them will call me Omar or they'll just yell out, Omar coming. <laughs> you must get a lot of Omar coming. I get a lot of Omar coming. I mean, really, that dude, man. <laughs> so after that, doing a whole bunch of stuff, I thought I thought the night of was fucking awesome. Thank you. Thank I you. really liked it. And I and I think in a weird way, it remodeled the way HBO thinks about some of their shows now. And, and then like what we're talking about with Netflix, where these six episodes, seven episode, four episode, they're not really fully a TV series, but you're kind of, you go into this world anyway for a few weeks and then you're out. Mm -hmm. And now they're doing it right now with Big Little Eyes and Netflix did it when they see us, but it just seems like this is a new model. And I feel like it started with the night of. Steven Zillion, um, he's a he's a genius. Yeah. You know, um, he beat me up, which was much needed for that type of that type of heavy lifting. He created this world that was just um it was incredible on that set. You felt like you were really in prison. And uh I got a glimpse into what my nephew, Dominic DuPont, must have endured for twenty years of his life. And uh, it was, yeah, shout out to Steven Zellion. And, and your Price. character it was unclear most of the time what direction <laughs> he was going to go in. Well, yeah, you know. You never knew how sinister it was going to get, but never. you knew like it was it was kind of lingering. You know, he, it's, he, he, I can only imagine that's how you, that's the thin line you have to ride in prison. And, and I modeled my ne I modeled Freddie Knight after my, my nephew, Dominic. And not to say that my nephew was um, manipulative like that, but my nephew had the type of charisma. Freddie Knight was very charismatic, and he, uh, he, he, he could pull you in real easy. You get sucked into him. He's intoxicating. And, and my nephew has that same type of, of characteristics in his, in his characteristic traits in his, in his demeanor. And I, so I based a lot of that 
that savviness on him, but then he just he has this dark side with his addiction, with his um his his uh he's you know, he's a bit of a manipulator. Yeah. And that that, you know, and you know, that's not so cool. Do you think Hollywood is doing a good enough job uh telling the stories of your community right now? Um, I, I think the I think the tide is changing. It I feels think, like it's getting better, right? Yeah, and but more importantly, to to put all that res- that pressure and responsibility just in Hollywood's hands, I think it's time for us to also step up and take some of that and like, like you know, us as a community, as a, as as our, my actors in this Hollywood community, I think it's time now we need to start making it make demanding that our stories be told more, that more diversity, which is already happening. You know, we need more writers. Everybody doesn't doesn't need to be an actor. You know, when I talk to young people of color that want to get into this business, I say, don't do it the way I did. Yeah. I came in here just only wanting, desiring to be in front of the camera. You are you are so much more powerful when you own your content. Write and tell your story. Tell your truth. Read a book. Option it. Bring that to the table. Come with something more than just your pretty face because that gets old quick. Trust me, I know. <laughs> Right, you know, so um, it's time for that, and it's a great, it's a great the, the 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 temperature in Hollywood is is just is just right for that type of um conversation to be having. So I put some of the some of the responsibility back in our community in our community in regards to telling our narrative in Hollywood. What'd you learn from uh, your Boardwalk Empire experience, man? You what know, kind of tricks did you pick up? Oh, please, but first of all, I mean. Boardwalk Empire was a boys' club, you know, and and the nickname for the for the club was Buscemi and the Michaels. Like you had to be named Michael to be on the show. There were like like nine <laughs> Michaels in the cast. Right? <laughs> shout out, to, shout out to all my Michaels from Boardwalk Empire. But um, what I learned on that show was um, just class on another level. Like Steve Buscemi, he he showed me what a star really looks like. You know, I never saw him complain. I never saw him yawn. He was never late. He 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 would if you needed him just for eyeline, he would stay. Um, I mean, that type of of grace, graciousness and 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 it's just I don't see that a lot now in days. Everybody's you know we're all, all about me me me. But um, yeah. Steve Buscemi is a class act, and um, what I learned just from watching him, how he interacted with the crew, with the other castmates. Made him make himself always available and accessible. I, I strive to be like that now in the shows that I'm on with my my coworkers and um as you know I'm on another HBO show called uh, the Love Lovecraft Country, and um yeah I, I give take my give us the twenty second synopsis of that of that one the new one uh um so there was a writer I, I think he's known to be the first science fiction writer um, his name is H P Lovecraft he wrote a series of books that kind of resemble the Twilight Zone, if you will. And his world that he created um, lives in um, Jim Crow America and monsters from out of space. And he tells, and we see this world through this family, this very, very, very dysfunctional family. And that is called uh, Lovecraft Country. So when does this one come out? We're in Atlanta right now filming. We uh, First day of production is June 10th. Oh, nice! You catch Atlanta right for when it's a hundred degrees. Oh yeah, the, the, the we call, they call it the wall. Nothing like July, Atlanta. Atlanta, right? Really <laughs> sexy. <laughs> Lose ten pounds of sweat. Come here, baby, feel this sweat. 
What was when did you film in Baltimore? That must have been a lot of summers too, right? Yeah, Baltimore's not like a walk in the park. We did what season two was actually in the winter. I remember one day my mouth froze. I had I had to practice that. You know, the, the, <laughs> my mouth literally froze. I I never had that experience before until season two of the Y. But the rest of them were all shot in the summer. Yeah. Um, so I remember not cold in the summer. No, Baltimore. it's not. But it, you know, you get it's humid. It was yeah. humid. But the main thing I remember about filming in the summers in Baltimore are the cicada seasons. That, that, that okay, you don't know talk about the cicadas. The first time I saw them, I almost jumped into the into the <laughs> the Baltimore Harbor. <laughs> like the world is ending. The sky is falling. The yeah. sky is falling. Have you ever seen cicadas when they come? No. They're the most gentle bugs, but they they'll they'll literally fly in your mouth. They're that they're that ignorant. Like literally fly oh in your God. mouth <laughs> while you're screaming to the world. The world is coming to an Jesus. end. <laughs> what? How do you feel about what's happened in Brooklyn in the last fifteen years? Eh, you know, uh, it's it's bittersweet. Um, I, 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 you know, in full disclosure, I live in a very um, nice, safe, pretty, white neighborhood. Nothing like Vanderveer Projects. Uh, I do long. A little bit. I long for the old New York. You know, um, we've got New York has got a little bit uh, a little too sensitive for me. I, sometimes I think the town could use an enema. <laughs> um, you know, but uh, um, what really uh, I'm concerned about is uh, all the displacement that's going on on with the gentrification. You know, where are people being put? You know, what does Brownsville look like these days? What does East New York look like these days? What does the South Bronx look like these days? Where are these people going who can't afford the high rents? And um, that disturbs me a little bit sometimes. So when Amazon went during that moment when it seemed like they were coming in, what was that? What was that I, part I of? Was, I, me personally, okay I, I was that? Team Amazon, man. I mean, that that that. That's that that equaled jobs, a lot of jobs in the community that people I know a lot of people could have used. Yeah, you know, um, uh, I my elevator doesn't go that high in regards to what the higher ups of the local politicians why they voted against it, but from my view, that translated into a lot of jobs for people that could have really used it. I was sorry to see that deal fall through. So you feel like Brooklyn still has a lot of the soul that it had twenty years ago? Oh yes, their pockets. Right. Oh yeah, this you could go to Brooklyn. And still, like Coney Island, still feels like Coney Island. Shout out to Spumoni Gardens, you know what I mean? L and B's. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, you know, there's still pockets of Brooklyn that still feel like Brooklyn. I can't. It feels like the entire internet lives there. Everybody who writes <laughs> and does a podcast, yeah, thank Jay Z for that. <laughs> he made Brooklyn so friggin' sexy. Now the whole world wants to live in Brooklyn. Everybody. Don't move to Brooklyn. There's no more space, people. We have we have a like a 20 person ringer office in Brooklyn. Yeah, bro. Because like we have all of our people live there. Probably in the Dumbo area. A lot of lot Where of is offices. It? It's in, right? No, it's in uh yeah, Brooklyn. Oh, Brooklyn yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. I don't I don't know Brooklyn that well. I don't yeah. every time I go there, I just get confused the whole time. Man, come you you but come yeah. you come hang out with your big brother. I got you, man. We go <laughs> we go eat, get some good food, get some good Caribbean food. <laughs> Caribbean food. Yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, has anybody ever approached you about doing a movie about you? About your life? You've no, had a pretty no. interesting life. No, sir. No? No, sir. No. You wouldn't do that? I no one has approached me about <laughs> no, no. You don't think either. he's had an interesting life? Tommy thinks so. Thank you. Yeah, that's like a half-assed shrug from Tommy. You know, we'll call it the my cross, my my cross to bear. That's what my mother calls me. <laughs> yes, my cross to bear. My cross to bear. <laughs> the Michael K. Williams story. 
Do you care about the Nets? Yeah, you know, they're cool. I'm Because you, you might be getting bad. Kyrie Irving this summer yeah, in Brooklyn. Yeah, Kyrie good was, luck with him. I heard Kyrie was going to... No, the, good luck with Kyrie. Seriously, seriously? good luck with that dude. I, I I'm a Celtic fan. You are? Yeah, we're ready for him to leave. You are? Yeah. Yeah, he caused a lot of tension. So you're a Knicks fan? I am a Knicks fan. All yes, right. I am. Do you go to the games? Yes, I do. Faithfully. What's the Jumbotron reaction for you on the video screen? You know, they they show that it's always the same clip, the Bulwark Empire clips and the and um the crowd. Man, I get a lot of love, man. A lot of love. Yeah. Do you have the pose? What do you do when the camera's on you for the video screen? I'm always interested in this. I Because it always stays on like first, seven seconds too long. I grab the sh poor schmuck sitting next to me and I start poking my finger in his face like, yeah, we're, <laughs> we're here. We're here right now. Can you see us? <laughs> like, dude, like his neck is like a freaking whiplash. <laughs> It's just nervous reaction. Yeah. Um, this was fun. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. It's good Bill. to see you again. Good Thank luck you. with everything. I'm gonna find that Omar poster on eBay. Thank you. You keep yours. You put you sign it, get all the get all the cast to sign it and put it for your charity. I think it would do well. I appreciate it. Seriously, that. I, I really Thank do. You. Think I'm going that would to do, do that. Well. It, you well, should do that. that. You know what? I'm definitely I'll help do you it. promote that if you do that. I will. All right. Thank all right. you. Thanks for coming on. Thank you.